Hey, it's me. A burning desire to study every language out there that you have to wrestle with at 3 a.m. on a Tuesday. Irene, welcome to the first episode of What Language Is That? Exciting! I have to be honest, this was the first episode I've ever produced. So I listened to it an embarrassing amount of times trying to perfect it. It was recorded on my iPhone with some boy mics. There was a street band going bananas outside and I had to re-record the sides several times. But I still love it. So let's get into it. Arabic. First, let's take a look at the word itself. It pretty obviously comes from the word Arab, which comes from either the son of Yarab or a word meaning desert. And that's one of those languages that seems so difficult that it was probably created way too many centuries ago to fathom. Spoiler alert, it was. But how similar is it to French? Why is it so difficult to learn? How many dialects are out there? And which one should you choose? What's all the drama with writing from right to left and left to right? And why you should keep on dreaming? Even if it is 3 a.m. on a Tuesday, tell all other languages to wait. And let's learn more about the Arabic one from my wonderful guest. My name is Salima, Salima Nabulsi. Me and Salima met at a Couchsurfing event, had a wonderful conversation, and Salima very humbly mentioned that she speaks four languages and studies her fifth. So a few days later, I messaged her saying, Hey, I think you're really cool. Would you like to talk about how cool you are? And we were on. At this point, I asked Salima to say anything in Arabic. Full disclosure, I've never heard Arabic being spoken before. Okay, so you want me to speak a little bit in Arabic, something like Marhaba, kif halek, kan yomek, shamiltin yom. Yeah, <laughs> maybe it was just basic uh, conversation, uh, saying hello and asking how, how are you doing and how uh, was your day. That interesting, that sounded like <laughs> French. Really? Yeah, like uh-huh. a lot of like, um, maybe because they also have phonetic. This, like, it's yeah, very phonetic. Yeah. yeah, it's like when you hear Portuguese, you think Russian, kind of very... Interestingly similar, right? Yeah, good to know. <laughs> All right, can we hear what you brought as a piece of poetry? Yes, uh, so actually it's a, um, a very small sentences or poems. So the first one is it لا تتخلى أبدا عن أي حلم فقط بسبب الوقت الذي ستستغرقه لإنجازه الوقت سيمر على أي حال And this means uh, never give up uh, on a dream just because of the time it will take to accomplish it. The time will pass anyway. It was written by Mahmoud Darwish, a Palestinian author and uh, poet. Mahmoud Darwish looked exactly how I imagine a report of the 20th century. Eyes going right through her soul. And the whole demeanor saying, you think you know what struggle is, kid? There becoming of a person who is described as the man of action, whose action is poetry on Wikipedia. So this is one, and the other one is It's very beautiful because it says as far as your dream goes, the earth will get bigger or will expand. So just keep on dreaming. <laughs> right, so a theme here. Uh-huh. Why did you choose those? I chose those because they mean a lot to me, and especially at this uh, moment of my life, uh, I, I'm going through a lot of changes and I need to keep positive. And um, yeah, then in, they inspire me. Right, yeah, but they, they like honestly, it's so interesting to listen to that because it's such interesting phonetic structure. I believe that Arabic speakers, they're really fortunate and very lucky to have this language because it's very rich and um, it contains a lot of, I mean, 
it, it has 28 letters, but I mean, there's a lot of uh, sounds and phonetics. And I believe that that helped me to be able to imitate or speak other languages uh, purely as the, as a native because of the sounds we have in, in Arabic. For instance, uh, people who learn French, uh, I mean, as a grown-ups and maybe they have another native language uh, and um, it would be different for them to repeat the bonjour, uh, but to roll the in such a way um, to sound as R. but in Arabic we have it we have Ain, we have Rain so for me it was easy to to pronounce the words in French as they should be spoken um, so yeah I, I think we are um, I mean Arabic is an extremely rich language and people who are born with this the language they're really fortunate to have it because at um, elder age when people they learn it it's, it's, it's going to be extremely difficult I mean uh, definitely uh, like a big chapeau for those who try to learn Arabic uh, I don't know at 30 or 40s or 50s uh, because of their job um, environment or requirements. Let's say if they are working from the Middle East, definitely they have to make some efforts and try to speak the local uh, language. But definitely it's, it's a hard thing to do. You might be thinking, what is so difficult about Arabic phonetics? When it comes to vowel sounds, it's like coming home. You know what's up, where the things are, where to put them. You have your common. A, A, E, E, U, U. But when it comes to consonants, it's more like coming to a new gym. You kind of know what's happening, but you feel everyone staring at you, and even dumbbells make you question your own existence. You have your basic. And not so basic. But still, it's nothing compared to writing. Have I mentioned there are only wow sounds and no letters? They're just tiny dots and it's a never-ending guessing game of which wow goes where? How do I know? Yeah, now you have to leave with that information as well. It's still letters, like in English or Russian. Yes. So, and basically, you combine them and you make words. Yes. But I've seen that the, the structure. So, how you make words is basically you take some root and then you add extra layers, and the word changes completely, right? So it's yes. That uh, this is very true because. Um, I mean, first of all, as you said, you have a base, uh, a base uh, of uh, words, uh, usually it's from three letters. And then adding different letters at different position in the mm-hmm. word, uh, it will uh, change the meaning. Maybe from a noun, it will become like a subject or object. I mean, you can really play around with it. And what makes it also unique, uh, it's written from right to left. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> not like other languages from left to right. Uh, except for the numbers, yes, we write them from left to right. But... Why exactly is Arabic written and read from right to left? Let's go back a couple of years. Maybe more. Specifically to somewhere between 3500 and 1050 BC. I remember it as yesterday. There was no paper, no Twitter, but so much time and so much to say. And trust me, like with Twitter, you wanted everyone to know what you thought and just as much. So what do you do? You get a bit of stone. You make it as flat as the earth was thought to be at the time and chisel away. And if you are left-handed, as most people apparently were at the time, it's more intuitive to scribble from right to left. At least it's one of the theories. But get into this drama. Ancient Greek was quite a prolific parent and gave birth to Latin and Cyrillic alphabets, but Greek itself was written 
from right to left like Arabic is now. So the actual question should be why are European languages written from left to right? The only coherent explanation is that it prevented ink from smudging when we switched to paper. For us, it's all fun and games. But in reality, is it difficult to switch between the two? Yeah, it takes like, I don't know, maybe 10 seconds. <laughs> yeah, you have your pen, you're like, okay, what should I do? Where, where should I direct it right now? But uh, yeah. Let's go back to the very, mm -hmm. not the very beginning, but like, so say you're seven years old, you're going to school. Did you have lessons of the language? Yes, of course. I mean, um, I was born in Jordan, but I mean, I have I, I have two cultures. My mom, she's Russian. My dad, he's uh, Jordanian, Palestinian. Uh, so basically, I learned both languages uh, since I was a kid because my dad, he would speak to me in Arabic, my mom in Russian. So that's how I was exposed to both languages. Going to school, yes, definitely. We also start to learn the Arabic because you have the uh, classical or uh, modern Arabic and then you have the spoken Arabic in the, in the streets that we use for, for speech and they're totally different. So yes, I learned uh, modern Arabic, uh, the, the formal one at school. And then um, I was uh, lucky enough uh, to uh, to study in a school uh, where they uh, pay a lot of attention for languages. So uh, besides uh, Arabic, uh, we had also classes in English. I believe it was twice a week and then also French. So at the age of, uh, I mean, first class, six years, I, uh, I started to learn also English and French. Okay, so lessons of English, usually yeah. you read literature, you see, like you look at the language, and lessons of Russian, you study grammar, you study cases, gender, whatever. What about Arabic? Like, how did you learn? It's school? it's similar to, to the Russian. Oh, I really? mean, yeah, it's a grammar, you, you learn the form of the sentences, the positions, I mean, because you have a subject, verb, and object, and then okay. you have uh, an object, it could be also a sentence, so you, you learn the differences. And on later stages, like when you are around, um, I don't know, 16, 17, and 18, you also, if you choose literature um, field uh, instead of the scientific, then you will have more Arabic classes that are more more of literature and poems and, mm -hmm. and all of that. I chose scientific stream. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Why? Um, I was more um, uh, talented for, I don't know, maths okay. or physics uh -huh. rather than uh, poems and all of that. Uh, but uh, still, I mean, I really love it. I like to read. Uh, yeah, but I was uh, more talented for the scientific field. And then... Um, in, in our culture, a scientific field maybe will allow you to have more options when you oh, uh, right. choose so, your major yeah, university. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, poor arts. Like, no one likes... Well, everyone loves it, but, like, for education and job, it's quite mm -hmm. a struggle. And, okay, so who is the Shakespeare of Arabic? That's a good question. Thank you so much. I didn't prepare for that one. <laughs> Ah, well, um, honestly, you have a lot. As far as I remember, I mean, you have uh, Amin Ma'louf. Originally, he's Lebanese, and then he um, lived um, in, in France also. So he was writing in Arabic and in French. Mm -hmm. He's uh, very well known. I mean, Mahmoud Darwish also. We have Nizar Qabbani, who's a Syrian. Who was the Shakespeare of Arabic? Who came around and was like, hey, here's some new words. Here's a better way of saying that. You're welcome. I posed these questions in front of my two good friends. The first of which, Google.com, did not give me much of an answer. However, my friend Ahmed directed me towards a person known as Al Mutanabi. He lived way before Shakespeare and a little bit more to the south, and he is credited with reimagining and diversifying Arabic with his poetry. He was born in 915 and died about 50 years later as a token of drama from the hands of a man he insulted in one of his poems. 
Here is a piece of his work. Which means, if you see a lion showing you his teeth, don't think he's smiling. Okay, so what's up with modern Arabic and classical? Like, what is happening there? Well, yes, I mean, everyone uh, in from all the Arabic countries, they would be... Um, studying the uh, modern Arabic at school, the formal one, the one we used to write, uh, and the one that is spoken in the news. I mean, this is the formal Arabic. And then, of course, you have uh, the street uh, Arabic uh, and uh, or the dialects, and it is really different from um, all over the, the countries. You have the Levantine accent, even like Palestinian, Lebanese, uh, Jordanian, and Syrian. They have a lot of similarities, but still, if I hear someone uh, who's Syrian, I would definitely know he's, I would guess he's Syrian, he's mm-hmm. Lebanese, I would guess it from the dialect. And Egyptian also, I mean, we understand them 100%, but they have sometimes even different names for the same mm-hmm. uh, uh, um objects or articles uh, for instance in in jordanian to say car we say sayara egyptians they say arabia i mean it has nothing to do but we understand them they understand us and probably it's because of the uh, film industry oh. and series so egyptian syrian lebanese we had a lot of series and films uh, in the 70s and 80s and even until now they're still producing and they're broadcasted uh, uh, all over the levantine region so we we listen to them they listen to us we we know their uh, dialect and then the khaliji dialect also it's a little bit different from dubai abu dhabi uh, even saudi arabia and oman bahrain they also have their own uh, dialect it's uh, a little bit different than ours but definitely we do understand each other and then you have another uh, region the north african uh, region like uh, morocco tunisia and algeria they are really uh, well exposed in the east so they know mm-hmm. very well they have seen uh, egyptian movies they have uh, heard the lebanese songs so they do know our dialects let's say they are more informed about us rather than us about them if moroccans would be talking with each other in the dialect because it's a mix of Berber, of they add a lot of French uh, uh, words and it's it's a little bit different. So when they speak to each other really fast, I'm not sure I will follow 100%, maybe 50%, maybe 40%, but it's uh, it's uh, totally another dialect and Algerian also, it's, it's uh, different. Tunisian also it's different, but I mean for me, uh, maybe during my studies in France, I had friends from Tunisia, so it helped me to better un- understand their dialect and it's very sweet. It's like the Lebanese dialect in our region, the Tunisian, because it's very sweet, it's more musical, it's like French, mm, it sounds okay. like French. So Tunisian from all the Morocco region, Maghreb, uh, I mean, it uh, It sounds like uh, French. It's, it's very sweet, it's uh, phonetic, it's musical. Okay, let's rewind and learn more about the loving, but a bit oddly seeming cousin of ours, the Arabic language. About half a billion people dabble with it in one way or another, and I was quite surprised to learn that it makes it the fifth most widely spoken language. There are about 26 countries that use Arabic as official or co-official, from Chad to Egypt to Euteria to Iraq to Jordan to Palestine to the United Arab Emirates and Yemen. It is a Semitic language, which basically means it was born somewhere in Africa about mm, 20 centuries ago and is a teeny-weeny baby of 500 years. It started to travel around the north of Africa and south of Europe and apparently Arabic was charming enough for people to switch completely from their mother tongues. And what happens when a whole country adds a new language to the existing one? You guessed it, dialects. There are about 35 of those, to name just a few. Moroccan, Mesopotamian, Gulf, 
Tunisian, Algerian, Jordanian, Sudanese, Libyan, Chadian, Northwest Arabian, and Egyptian, which, by the way, has the biggest number of speakers. And what's up with Salima's dialect? Jordanian. Oh, right. Yeah. yeah Jordanian, Palestinian. Makes sense. <laughs> yeah. All right. And what's the difference? So is it the... It's not the grammar, right? It's just the vocabulary. What's... Why is uh, it It's uh, the pronunciation also. Oh, the way right. they pronounce the, the words mm-hmm. at the ending. I mean, for instance, for Syrians, Lebanese, at the end, it's like uh, they put an accent at the um, last syllable of the, the word. So it becomes like nicer, sweeter. If your brain is anything like mine, you are dying to know what Lebanese Arabic sounds like. So you know I've got you. I've got you covered. فهون بمجال الشغل لازم الشخص يكون طموحه للأفضل. لأنه إذا هو حاطط براسه دايما يكون الأفضل بالشيء اللي عم بيسويه، فإذا طبيعي كثير إنه يوصل على القليل لشيء جيد وجيد جدا إذا ما قدر يوصل للأفضل بالنسبة للناس. That was a small part of podcast called Seven Minute Motivation. One of the only two podcasts in Lebanese I've managed to find. And I've messaged Salima after asking what it was all about. And as you can guess, it was 15 seconds of motivation to work hard and be patient with yourself. So consider it your daily reminder. So modern and classic. Well, actually, I have researched it. There are like three t- types of Arabic. The classical, mm-hmm. it's more the uh, the really ancient Arabic, the oh, one right. which is written in the Quran. And I mean... It is very beautiful. We we still can't understand it, but it's mm-hmm. it's so beautifully written that I don't uh, I don't imagine that anyone can just repeat this kind of Arabic. I mean, it's unique. It's written in the Quran, and then the modern one is the one which is the formal one, the one we use in the news. Uh, we use for uh, writing uh, emails or articles, mm-hmm. um, and then the spoken Arabic in the street, the different dialects. Yeah. How do you switch between all three? Well, I switch between two. Okay. Because the classical is just when you read the Quran. Oh, that's it. Okay. <laughs> Okay. Uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, when you write, when you read, it must be the formal Arabic. But uh-huh. when you speak, it's like we never use the formal okay. uh, one because it's more complicated. It's it will take you some time to to remember the vocabulary and make sure you're pronouncing correctly mm-hmm. and everything. But yeah, because Arabic is definitely so different from other languages, it seems like there's a distance. And when people say, oh, like three mm. types. So yeah, so it actually is so much more. It's, it's, a, it's, it's a huge challenge for people who want to learn Arabic because if they learn uh, the modern one, the formal one, I mean, I'm going to understand them, but no one speaks it, let's say. Mm, okay. Yeah. So, so just going to waste. Not a, we, we waste because it's beautiful. And definitely if they will be reading books in Arabic, mm-hmm. they will really enjoy it. Uh, but uh, talking to people from different areas... I definitely we're going to understand and we're mm-hmm. going to try to speak the formal one okay. also like just for this person to understand mm-hmm. us but it's it's a huge challenge and let's say if people they just want to learn the spoken uh, language mm-hmm. then they have to choose which dialect okay maybe I have a Egyptian uh, teacher then my dialect's going to be Egyptian mm-hmm. or Lebanese or Jordanian according to the availability of uh, instructors and okay. teachers in the place yeah so I believe it's it's a huge challenge for uh, non-speakers to to choose a dialect and and try to learn it all right so if they had to choose one which would you recommend uh jordanian okay, Palestinian. Yeah. okay yeah, but how is it it's the neutral yeah. one it's the neutral oh, one it's really? the one i believe everyone would would be understanding i mean i don't know maybe i'm got uh, i'm being biased a little, a little bit, bit yeah, probably <laughs> just a little bit are there any words in english that you say and you think oh yeah that's from arabic and that's from arabic as well um actually i haven't thought about this one but um last year i was still living in madrid uh, i was working there and actually i could see the the similarity i mean how many words they they really taken from arabic uh let's say in spanish they have a seat 
which is oil, and in Arabic is azayt, okay. azayt, and then asukar, and in Arabic it's asukar, also known as sugar. So I mean, they took a lot, a lot of uh, Arabic words, ancient ones, yes, and they're using it. So it was uh, nice to to notice that. So why are there so many Arabic words in Spanish? In the high medieval period, like Renaissance, but three hundred years earlier, the Muslim world was the it place, the hub for art, science, and education. Why, you ask? No church oppressing science. And thanks to the cultural and language exchange, it's no wonder we find so many Arabic words in European languages, including English, which took words for alcohol, candy, loofah, and even orange. But more importantly, Europe borrowed quite rare inventions. You probably never even heard of them. Like this thing, coffee and sugar, and I hope I pronounced next one correctly, chemistry, and algebra, and later streetlights and cameras. And to be honest, we don't talk about the achievements of the Muslim world enough. We kind of forget that a Tunisian Muslim named Ibn Khaldun proposed the theory of evolution for hundred years before Charles Darwin did. And in the same way, we forget about an Iraqi Muslim Ibn Al Haythman who discovered the laws of gravity. And wrote them down six hundred years before Newton's birth. Yeah, it wasn't just the apple; it was also kind of his book. White supremacy never disappoints, does it? Always on brand, rewriting scientific history, and you can guess whose favor. Now, how did your life change? Did you did you get the guy? Did you get the job? Is your house any bigger? And what about the other way around? Um, how Arabic on borrowing words from English or other languages, like modern words like computer? Yes, yes. I mean, if you sit with the youth, the new generation uh, <laughs> nowadays, I mean, everyone is using English uh, languages at work, uh, putting it in an Arabic uh, uh, style. Um, like what? Um, let me just think about it. Farwidli. Like forward to me, okay. uh, something farwidly. So it's it's taken from from English. Other words you can recognize in Arabic are telephone, which is grapefruit, telephone, which is telephone, computer, and which is computer. But of course, there are other words that slowly creep into Arabic from English, creating a new third language. Hmm. I wonder if there is a name for that. Um, we say Arabizi because Englishy it's like English, and then Arabi it's Arabic. Oh. So Arabizi. And so you know Russian, Arabic, French, oh English, and now you're saying <laughs> Spanish. Yes. What was the most difficult language to learn? Uh, Russian. Okay. Yes, because I didn't uh, take grammar when I was uh, young. I didn't study mm. um, Russian schools, so for me, uh, it's a huge uh, challenge. Actually, Russian language is also one of the most beautiful languages in the world and most spoken, but it is so complicated for me. It's uh, it's really difficult uh, to. I mean, I can speak fluently, I can understand everything, but uh, to be more proper or and write a formal email mm. or even sometimes the inclination, the endings of the words, they change and not 100% I'm able to, to find the right ending. So for me, the, the biggest or the uh, most difficult language would be Russian. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think for <laughs> Russian people, it would also be the most difficult language, but we just don't notice because we are so used to speaking yeah. it. Are there any other languages this amazing human being would like to learn? 
Um, and now I'm learning Spanish. I would really love to excel in that language mm-hmm. and be fluent because my French also is very good and it's helping me a little bit. I mean, Latin languages, if you know one, then it would be easier. Uh, but still, there are also some challenging in the pronunciation of the words really? and the grammar. I mean, it takes time to uh, to excel or to master a language, especially that they're um, uh, past tense. They have like, I don't know, like three or four oh, past right. tense in, okay. in Spanish. So um, you need to have enough uh, knowledge and and um, um, a lot of practice to be able to choose the right past tense. Salima mentioned wanting to study German. My jaw dropped even lower than before, and I asked, What drives you? What makes you want to learn them? Actually, German uh, language, because I was studying in um, in a city in France, which is called Strasbourg, and it has borders with uh, Germany. Ah. So I used to cross the with the uh, bicycle to go to Germany and Yeah. And buy th- and make some shopping because yeah, it like was one does like <laughs> cheaper. Yeah. So that's uh, from where uh, mm. I started to be interested in the language, and uh, um, I had to take a free uh, material at mm-hmm. university, and I chose German. Knowing that I'm very close to Germany, I was like, okay, why not? Maybe I will use it there. So yeah, that's why uh, I yeah, started so learning like practically. It. Yeah, mm-hmm. so it's practicality and Spanish, obviously, because you love Spain. Yes, and I lived there for one year and a half, and I love the language. But you know, when you're working, your um, schedule really doesn't allow. I mean, to go and mm-hmm. get more classes, two hours every day. Um, yeah, I, I couldn't. Uh, make it uh, back then uh, I don't know why <laughs> maybe I was a little bit lazy or just adapting to a new place and I just couldn't find the time to to take more classes mm-hmm. but now I would love to continue on and speaking and learning the language since you speak so many languages mm-hmm. do you feel any different when you speak one or the other in your personality in the way you present yourself I guess yes I guess yes I've been um, uh, moving to to Russia even though it's my second matter I mean native language but still I'm not that good at it uh, not as pure Russians and uh, I find that I am more timid I'm more shy mm-hmm. with people when I speak in in, uh, in Russian mm-hmm. even now I'm going to interviews I'm like oh my god you know it's such a stress to go to the interviews because I need to talk about myself my experiences and technique use technical words all mm-hmm. in, in Russian so I am like oh, I hope to they speak English I hope I can switch to, to English yeah I believe speaking Russian with other people like Russian natives I feel a little bit timid with my mom definitely it's okay because I mean I've been talking uh, to her in Russian since uh, I was um, little but uh, she excuses my <laughs> mistakes and my errors sometimes she has the energy to to correct me and other times she's just like I just understand you and there's no need to correct you know I'm like no mom please correct me if you're not gonna do it I mean it's better that you, you are the one who mm-hmm. um, who does it rather than strangers or people at the interview, you know. <laughs> Arabic, definitely, I feel more comfortable and confident, but I also uh, love uh, speaking in French, especially with French people. Or when I was studying there, when I went there for vacation or I was traveling in France, it's always a pleasure to be able to speak their language. And I also feel very confident because I studied French for really long years um, and it's uh, it's very lovely and beautiful. Merci beaucoup. So other people, the non-speakers, are like, oh my God, this is so beautiful so yeah i feel also very confident uh, speaking french which one do you feel is the most expressive arabic okay yeah why because you have a lot of words you mm-hmm. have a lot of adjectives and um, i don't know it's just um, it's so rich 
So yeah, I feel it's the most expressive. Right. Definitely Russian is also, but I don't have all the vocabulary. <laughs> I also like Spanish, even though not uh, everyone like likes uh, likes it because it has a lot of uh, different sound. I mean, difficult sounds for some people. Like mm-hmm. the f- Oh yeah, yeah. But for us again, it it, it yeah. exists in Arabic. So it's uh, once you learn how uh, natives they are uh, pronouncing it, you can repeat uh, the same. Yeah, and again, you're not gonna learn it consciously, right? You just listen to your parents and repeat, and that's it. What are your favorite words? I have a few uh, words uh, in different languages, so I'm gonna share them with you. First of all, there's uh, something in Russian you say when you didn't see someone for a really long time, and you say "skolka liet, skolka zim," like how many summers, how many winters. Yeah, long time no see. Yeah, long time no see. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Why do you like it? I don't know. I just um, heard it when I was uh, little, and uh, I use it a lot when uh-huh. I meet friends. Uh, and uh, other thing in French. Also, I'm, I believe it was a proverb I have learned uh, in my early uh, stages of uh, learning French. I always use it. It's petit à petit, l'oiseau fait son nid, which means like little by little, the bird uh, builds his um, nest. So it means like, like it takes you a little step, mm-hmm. step by step to reach your goals and objectives in life. And uh, some other word, Arabic words, uh, I really like how we say also bon appétit in Arabic, mm-hmm. which is sahtain. It means like two health from, upon you. <laughs> I don't know why it's two, but it's sahtain. And then uh, people, uh, they reply ala albek or ala albak, uh, which means on your heart. It's like, thank you for bon appétit. I also like uh, the way um, we say it in, uh, in Jordan and in maybe in many other countries, neighboring countries. Also, there is uh, something funny in the spoken language we say to each other between friends, which is It's like, um, screw your art, something like that. It's like exclamation or disbelief. If someone told you a story, a situation, and then you just, like, you cannot believe or mm-hmm. uh, you express um, disbelief or exclamation or admiration, it, it, it also could be admiration. I mean, depending on the context, depending how, how you say it. Princess, shut up! I beg your pardon? Shut up! Your Majesty, in America it doesn't always mean be quiet. Here it could mean wow, gee whiz, golly wallies. Oh, I, I understand. Thank you. So yeah, these are few words I like in yeah. all the languages. And I like how they're so emotional. They're not just like, oh, this is the word I like. They have so much meaning in context that they bring with them. Can you compliment your guest too many times? Because I don't think it's possible. Salima is a wonderful person to interview. For one, she prepared notes, like she actually wrote down things, which is just amazing. But the previous question made us take a break and discuss it first. That's when I saw Salima write in Arabic and left my mouth before I could register it. And it made me think how religious words and terms are a mundane part of English. From the obvious, oh my god, forbidden fruit, and hell no, goddammit. There are words like enthusiasm, translated from Greek as possessed by God's essence. Or even goodbye, that comes from God be with you. What about Arabic? Yeah, there, there are also a lot of uh, words uh, related to religion, but then they enter in our daily life and mm-hmm. we use them. Um, it's like... I don't know if you see something beautiful. I mean, your Frenchie just had a newborn baby. You saw him, you say, MashaAllah. Uh, it's also a way, I mean, to uh, to say it in a nice way, but mm-hmm. without envying, without, you know, putting the bad eye on oh, the newborn okay, baby. Yeah. Or, I mean, it's also in our culture. You just say, MashaAllah. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is religious uh, and it, we use it. 
Yeah, the same. Um, and I guess also like other ways of the greetings, you mm-hmm. have assalamu alaikum or alaikum salam. Mm-hmm. It is more related to like ancient times when Muhammad started spreading Islam all over. So mm-hmm. it's the way of greeting people. And until nowadays, we use it. I mean, if you enter to, a, I don't know, a bank or you have a meeting, there's a lot of people. You can always say that. I mean, it's like peace be upon you. It's a, a mm-hmm. really nice way of greeting people and be more formal, let's say. Yeah. Of course, you have the other daily spoken expressions but this one I find it very beautiful and maybe some people will say ah it's uh, old outdated and very old Uh, we don't use it nowadays but I still believe that it's it's being used uh, everywhere yeah. really nice yeah very it, nice way of greeting people and even if people didn't use it for a couple of years like <laughs> who cares if it's a wonderful <laughs> word why not use it yeah it's so interesting because religion kind of found way into language even like russian spasibo which means thank you which like spasibo god uh-huh. save you they're so connected yeah. no matter where you look so we just tend to i don't know not to think about it as much mm-hmm. but there is another expression we use a lot it's inshallah i mean mm-hmm. if, if god uh, wants then it will happen okay. if someone tells you I don't know are you planning on coming will you do that thing will you oh, do that right. project so I mean it's it's religious and, and, and for others it could be uh, as a way of not giving a true uh-huh. answer so okay. it's like inshallah and we will see later on you know so it could be a religious way I mean you're just hoping that you're gonna still be alive mm-hmm. or some of the people they use it to I mean, as a, as a way of not giving a yeah. confirmed yes. So it's going to be inshallah, we will see, mm. depending. Right. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. even, um, you, can't, uh, you can imagine in, in Spanish, they took this also. So they say, ojala. Oh, right. Ojala is like inshallah. Yeah, yeah that is so fascinating. So they use yeah. it. And there is a place in Madrid. Uh, it's a brunch uh, place. It's called ojala. <laughs> so I, I know you don't have the answer to my question, like what words you wish English had that Arabic does or other way around. No answer to that. Okay, yeah. <laughs> I know it's so difficult because I know yeah. there are a lot of words in German which are untranslatable. Mm-hmm. For example, Verschlimmbessern, meaning to make something worse by trying to improve it, or Backpfeifengesicht, which means a face that begs to be slapped, or a face in need of a fist. I'm still on the fence about which one I like better. And I actually found a word for something I feel quite often, and I feel that Many people can relate. Weltschmerz. Which means mental depression or apathy caused by the comparison of the actual state of the world with an ideal one. Or, as Google eloquently puts it, world pain. I hoped <laughs> that maybe there's something like that. I don't know. I, I haven't thought about that mm-hmm. because whenever uh, I feel a shortage of words, mm-hmm. uh, speaking one language, I can take yeah. it from another language and everyone would uh, hear it. Like, I really like this uh, term we say in French, like chapeau. It's like uh, you take off your hat uh-huh. uh, to show, uh, I don't know, respect or admiration. Yeah, about so Like tipping my hat. Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. And I believe a lot of people, they understand it even if they don't uh, really speak yeah. French. It's really common. I was trying to research this phenomena, but I only found the opposite. People and linguists reporting that it's the hardest part of the language, and it's borderline impossible to understand idioms with translations alone. But, and come on, by now, you knew this part was coming. There is this theory called spontaneous metaphorization, which basically says that some human experiences are so universal, we constructed similar phrases in different languages to capture them, in some cases completely independently from one another. Let's have a little experiment and take a look at some not-so-obvious 
Can you guess what this Arabic one means? Translated as repetition can even teach a donkey. Or, according to google.translate, repetition teaches the ass. It means practice makes perfect. Or how about translating like the moon. It means beautiful. Just like you are. IDMs are such a great exercise for our brain. It's like yoga and wrestling for the mind combined. If someone says a dog's tail can never straighten, you would still get what they were trying to convey. So yes, okay, not all IDMs can be easily understood, but language is all yours to play and experiment with. For example, you can take this Portuguese saying Tirar o cavalinho da chuva. directly translated as take your little horse away from the rain and means it's not going to happen and just use it like right now go on there is no one to stop you live your life people do whatever you want also maybe pet a dog and a little horse while you're at it what's your favorite way of learning that would be the classical way i would say which is which is i mean having a book uh-huh. uh, um methodology and then I mean starting little by little okay. constructing your uh, basic uh, conversation uh, how to introduce yourself mm-hmm. and then little by little adding grammar uh, more words yeah I believe this way is a is a the way I learned uh, that all the foreign languages and I think it works perfectly but then definitely you will need some practical part and uh, living in the country uh, yeah kind of yeah. helps. <laughs> helps a lot because yeah. uh, especially I mean I don't know in France not everywhere not everyone speaks English so uh, knowing that the language is a plus and um, even if you don't know a lot of words or you're making mistakes they would still be very helpful and try Mm -hmm. to instruct or give you the directions or the information you're looking um, at and um, even in Spain also I mean when I when I moved there I my Spanish was uh, really basic Mm -hmm. (laughs) few words here few words there few verbs and that's it and only present tense I didn't have (laughs) the past tense but still I managed to communicate uh, mm-hmm. when doing my groceries when trying to go into the hospital to register mm-hmm. i mean doing these uh, daily small tasks uh, knowing few words would definitely help yeah i just love it how our urge to communicate transcends any language if we know one word we'll try to communicate with our sign language yeah. and anyhow just help each other which is just such a beautiful reminder that humanity is not all messed up yeah I mean, I even had uh, a situation uh, uh, maybe two weeks ago. Uh, um, I, I met a friend in the street. I mean, we already said uh, goodbye because she came here to study Russian and then she turned back to her country, Italy. Uh, so she speaks Russian. And uh, at the last week, uh, she had her mom visiting her, an Italian lady. It did happen that uh, by coincidence, I crossed them at the street and I saluted my friend. And then I was like in front of her mom, like trying to communicate. Um, I don't know a lot of Italian words. So I um, went to Spanish because it's... <laughs> close I tried to to communicate to say a few words and then mm-hmm. she could understood me and the language of sign and one word in Spanish one word in Italian uh-huh. and we managed to have a very short conversation with each other which is yeah. fantastic well, and I like how you're so casual when I was growing up it was always something extra special to know languages in my mind it always was like oh I know like six languages I am very special and cool but like I like how people are just very relaxed about it and just enjoy mm-hmm. what they enjoy yeah, completely unrelated. I asked Salima if there were any stereotypes about the language that she hates, 
And as you can guess, this question made us take a rather predictable, but still not very pleasant turn. In preparation for this question, I tried to search online and see what comes up, and the only thing about the language specifically was this post-slash-video by HuffPost published four years ago. The video has less than 1,500 views, and basically... A guy had a sign where he printed the word love in Arabic, mm -hmm. and then he asked people, what does this word mean? A lot of people say, oh, it means peace, or maybe love, or something like positive, and then there were some people who were, oh, it says terrorism, like, why? There is this stereotype that I found that people kind of mm -hmm. associate just written at least because I'm not quite sure those, those people mm -hmm. actually heard mm -hmm. because if they would hear they would not guess. What do you think about it? Uh, I'm pretty sure that people there are um, nowadays I mean they do their research they do their homework let's say because it's very absurd just to hear uh, kind of I don't know from where these stereotypes started how did it all start uh, but definitely there is uh, uh, war in, in our world and then some people, some powers they're trying to use um, or create stereotypes mm. against others just to create this unbalance and then give them the right to interfere in others' uh, oh, yeah. nations' uh, um, issues and, and problems. But I'm pretty sure that, I mean, educated people, they would learn, they would try to talk with uh, mm. Arabic people from all over the world because you have uh, immigrants you have people who went for education let's say to the states to mm -hmm. uh, uk to different european cities so um i mean you have to do your homework you have to uh, read more about the culture about uh, maybe the religion also mm -hmm. because it's very peaceful i mean there is no killing there is no um, yeah. uh, ki killing innocent people or all uh, what is happening this is extremism which from my humble observations happens in every country within any religion I feel like even pastafarians, like the ones who believe in the flying spaghetti monster, have some beef with the universe people, you know? It doesn't represent the uh, religion, it doesn't represent the people. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it hurts when, when I hear such kind of stereotypes, but um, all over the years when I was traveling here and there and studying and living in different uh, places, people there really open-minded and mm -hmm. uh, interested to learn about you, about your culture. I mean, even uh, working in Madrid, I uh, met a lot of, a lot of uh, European people mm -hmm. uh, who were working with me. We had almost around 60 nationalities, so you can imagine the richness in this place uh, and the uh, culture exchanges. So uh, a Belgian guy who would always uh, come towards um, the Arabic Jordanian uh, people to understand uh, uh, their customs, mm -hmm. uh, their beliefs, uh, because he's a person who doesn't believe, I mean, in religion, and mm -hmm. he's just uh, listening and picking oh, up yeah. wherever he finds interesting and adapting it to, to, mm -hmm. to his life, which I really uh, adored uh, this kind of yeah. uh, thinking, <laughs> let's say. But definitely people were approaching us to mm -hmm. learn about our, our culture, our customs, um, how do we live, uh, how are our, our family ties. Uh, so yeah, I believe uh, nowadays, I mean, we're open-minded and, and I hope that people will become even more open-minded yeah. to, to learn. Yeah. And that's not just be closed and listen to one uh, resource of uh, media and believe whatever is said. You, you really yeah. need to, to do your homework. All right. So originally I wanted to say that it's going to be the cheesiest, most cringiest thing ever. But you know what? Cringe culture is dead. Cancelled. Okay, let's just enjoy things and appreciate life i don't know so 
Despite everything that is happening around the world right now, it is just so uplifting to know that there are experiences like this to share and ultimately we are just curious about each other, about cultures and languages and the world and we just want to live and be happy and love. And I guess the one thing that really fascinates me with languages is that we evolved to be able to communicate. I mean, we fail at it miserably all the time. Still, that's something we're trying to do. And this part of human experience just makes me go, Hey, that's pretty good. That was kind of a rant. Because honestly, I mean, as the religion, I mean, if you read more about it, it's a very peaceful religion. It's also the way you treat other people that matters a lot. I mean, mm-hmm. forget about the religious acts you have to do, but it, they always insist. I mean, the Quran in any place, they insist on the way you treat other people and that you don't cause any harm to mm-hmm. others. You know, this is the most important. And I really love also nowadays we have a lot of icons uh, who are Muslims, who are religious, mm-hmm. but they're, uh, they've been uh, accepted and they've been um, adored from all the nations. I mean, mm-hmm. let's talk about sports, about football. We have okay. an icon, icon which is who's uh, sorry, who's uh, Mohammed Salah. Yeah, he's an Egyptian footballer. Um, I believe now he joined uh, Liverpool, mm-hmm. uh, if I'm not mistaken. And um, he's just loved by the, the audience. Like everyone mm-hmm. just adores him and um, he's very um, respectful man, uh, still modern, but he he's religious. I mean, being religious doesn't mean that you are not a nice person. So probably he's helping at, uh, and people like him, they're helping at uh, making um, Arabic or Muslim image a better one. Final couple of questions. If a person wants to study Arabic, what's your number one advice? Number one advice? Or <laughs> just a very good one. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely go ahead, do it. Okay. It's an amazing language, uh, but be patient. Uh-huh. Be extremely patient and uh, um, keep on the continuity because, uh, I mean, um, working with some international companies back then, even in Jordan, uh, I have uh, I had a general manager who would uh, take a class and then classes and then uh, travel for a business and then come back after a few weeks and then restart the courses again. So mm-hmm. at least like continue to be able to build up a little by little mm-hmm. and be able to speak or use the language and um, I mean to keep you motivated. So if, if you start learning it, just have some patience and mm-hmm. keep going. All right. <laughs> and so final two questions. What's the worst part of being bilingual? Um, yeah. Actually, yeah. multilingual in your case. <laughs> Uh, I mean, sometimes I I just stop. Uh, I have a lot of things going on in in my head, but I'm unable to express them. I'm mm-hmm. like, I, 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 I don't know what form to use, which language to 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 use. So, yeah, it's like my head is overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so that could be some challenges. The advantages of being uh, multilingual, they are. I mean, yeah. What's what's the best thing? The best thing is that you travel in different places and you're able to speak the language of the mm-hmm. people and to communicate with them and be able to get the maximum of the of the experience. I mean, that's why also I, I am really eager to continue learn uh, Spanish mm-hmm. because a lot of uh, people and nations uh, uh, speak it. And my dream is to visit uh, Latin America, mm-hmm. go to different parts of it. Uh, so probably knowing the language would, would help me to communicate more with the locals and understand about their cultures, customs mm. and traditions. Honestly, I myself rely so heavily on English. It's so hard for me to study. And so you, like seeing you who's like, well, I'm going to go there, so I'm going to study everything I can. <laughs> it's just so inspiring. It's so great. Oh, 
I'm happy to hear that. (laughs) So, okay, final question, which I wasn't planning to ask, but when you see dreams, which language are they on? I have been asked this question multiple uh, times. Really? Yeah. I guess it depends on on, on the dreams. I mean, if you see people or no, but Mm -hmm. I believe it's more in Arabic. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Thank you so, so much. That was so fun. If you want to learn more about Arabic, come to your local language school and say, hey, I've heard a bit about that. Tell me more. If you want to support the podcast, you can go to Patreon or come buy some merch. It's winter times, so you can get a mug for drinking that tea or get a hoodie that will keep you warm. Or you can get a t-shirt for your second cousin that always seemed too cool to hang out with. But then they see your present and go, hey, that's my most favorite show ever. I didn't know many people heard about it. And if you want more people to hear about it, you can also follow and subscribe, rate and leave a review. That helps the podcast to go up in charts. And you can also tweet about it, gram about it, book about it, I guess. Thanks to everyone who has been supporting the podcast so far. Your love and appreciation means so much to me, it makes me tear up on the daily. Next week, we're going to talk about Russian in a very accurate room, but it's still going to be great. See you then. Bye-bye. Why not?